song that, uh, that just reminds us that we are not worshiping a God. We are worshiping God alone. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. before you, we couldn't be uh, more in an attitude of grateful heart and praise and thanksgiving, Lord, because you are unchangeable. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can depend on you at any moment, any day, because you never change. Totally dependable. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that. In a world that we hear a news a one day and news B another day and, and we don't know um, what to believe, we always know we can believe you and trust you completely. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for that. 
Lord, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth today, and we lay our lives before you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, uh, if you would grab one of these uh, connection cards. Oh, I think we just uh, had a, a, a crash, but we'll get it up and running here pretty quick. But one of these connection cards, and uh, especially if you're visiting with us, we'd love to know that you're, you're visiting. And so fill that out. The rest of us on the, on the back, there's an opportunity for prayer request. Um, you know, during the Christmas season, we, we meet up with a lot of friends and family we haven't seen for a while, and, and maybe you found out a new prayer request you'd like for us to pray for. So please please write that down, and we'll try to be faithful to uh, lift those up this week, okay? And so do that for us. Please turn that in at the end of the service in the offering plate. Well, um, our pastor and family is visiting uh, family in, in uh, Alabama, and so our very own Chris Thixton is going to be sharing the word with us today, and he asked us to uh, think about the majesty of God. And I was thinking about that. Uh, the first song that came to mind is the great old classic, Holy, Holy, Holy. Let's sing it together. Three. 
think about God's majesty, His holiness, we consider the words of what arguably is the wisest man ever to have lived, King Solomon. Ecclesiastes 5, 2, he says this, Be not rash with your words, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's important as we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, he calls us. He says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. There's a danger there, right? Because we, we're not friends, buddies. We still have to remember God is in heaven. He is other. He is holy. 
we are on earth. Let's sing these words together.
final song this morning will help us to think about who is this Christ whom we talk about. Pay particular attention to the last chorus. It's not the classic chorus. It's a new one that helps point us to uh, what Jesus did past the manger. Let's sing together. What child is this? What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Who angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels to bring him on the baby, the son of Mary. Why lies he here in mean a state where ox and lamb are feeding? Good Christians here for sinners here silent word is This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels Peace, to bring him the babe, the son of Mary. Shepherds, God, and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him on, the babe, the son of Mary. Nail, spear shall pierce him through, the cross be born for me.
Good morning. Good day yesterday. Tree. Right? Presents. Right? The food. Yeah. I had Libby's cinnamon rolls yesterday. Mmm, they're the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. What a day Christmas is. And even a season for that matter. My understanding is stuff in the stores... All right, get there now in October, All right? Now, uh, if you've got your Bible with you, uh, open up to the book of Philippians. If, if you've got a, a Bible in front of you there in the pew, grab it. Uh, we'll use that translation, the ESV. Uh, one, turn to page 1165. 1165. All right? So, um, hey, let me ask you this. During Christmas season, you ever get distracted? I do. Uh, you think about distractions that take place during Christmas season that can draw our attention away. The hustle, the bustle, all the preparations, the shopping, the dinners. Uh, stuff like that. Not that that's inherently wrong. But in terms of things that can be distracting. I mean, even the decorations, right? People will always come up and say, hey, how many trees did Libby put up this year? <laughs> like I don't help? <laughs> Not normally in October. But Five this year. Five trees this year. And uh, you know what? I'll share this with you. Just don't share it with my wife, okay? The decorations don't really bother me. It's just something I get to banter about every year. We go back and forth. But, but don't tell her that. I mean, I like the decorations. I like the fact that she enjoys it. And somebody right now may be thinking, hey, Chris, Christmas is over. Move on. You know, Christmas is over, right? It took place over 2,000 years ago. We simply celebrate the incarnation every year. And when it comes to Christmas, it takes us to a place that many people haven't thought deeply about or really even given an opportunity to, to imagine. Right? And I wish, and if I were speaking honestly, I really do. I wish there was more information, number one, because I just find it truly fascinating. And second of all, to think that God became a man. I can't totally fathom that. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. A question? Right? Have you ever thought of becoming an earthworm? Somebody back here said, no. And somebody will go, no. That's ridiculous. And yet, I would share with you something of a far greater magnitude took place when God became a man. You think how ridiculous it is to entertain the thought that we would become something else, like an earthworm, way too beneath us. 
And yet, God being transcendent, far above anything that we could ever measure, became a man. Right? But my challenge, my challenge in all of this season is with the enjoyment, the nostalgia, the familiarity of everything that celebrating this time brings can distract me from the significance of Christmas. And I think I'm okay in presuming that many people don't think deeply about God's redemptive plan with Christmas, what that really meant. Maybe we think about the tough journey that Joseph and Mary made, maybe the little baby in a manger, but to truly consider the magnitude of the incarnation when God became a man, truly What child is this? Now, now I do understand that some people have difficulty standing and and sitting up and down. I I, I get that. But if you are able, if you are able, would you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? I'll read out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. The Word of God says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with your word opened, may we be in awe of you, in the incarnation. Now, this is why we celebrate Christmas. But there is so much that fights for our attention. Everything that goes on can hinder our ability to seek you. And Father, we pray that you help us to think properly. Help us to understand more about you. Understanding with your help what we otherwise couldn't understand. And God, how grateful, how grateful we are that you sent your son to be one of us. God, I I pray that you help me to speak clearly, but more importantly, most importantly, God, we pray for the supernatural work that you speak deeply into our hearts and be transformed. Amen. I've always been impressed with the fact that uh, God played by the rules when he became human. You think about an infinite God becoming an infant and now the creator of the world being held by a young girl. I mean, think about that. He took no special privileges. The Son of God got dirty diapers. He had to learn to walk, all that stuff when he became human. But yet, here is just something absolutely incredible, Uh, not to mention... When he showed up in human form, there was a scandal. 
We're never told, we're never told of the grandparents' reaction when Mary announced she was pregnant. And we are never privy to the conversations that took place, you know, at First Baptist, right, down at Nazareth, those types of things. No, we're not. But all of these things go on. And I shudder to think about two rural teenagers caring for the baby Savior. But let's take a step back before that. You know, Jesus did not have a beginning. You go back to eternity past, and there the Son of God is. You think about the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Eternal and co-equal. And yet we know that he has no beginning. You know, John 1, 1, in the beginning, which was no beginning, right? Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As difficult as it is for me to try to think about eternity future, it's more mind-boggling to try to think about eternity past. No beginning. Are you kidding me? Each of us, each of us has a beginning. We had a beginning when we were conceived. And we celebrate, we celebrate birthdays, right? In fact, earlier this year, Virginia Morrow of our congregation turned 100, right? We celebrated that. Wow. But Jesus, you cannot count his existence. He has no existence. He existed before time. And in fact, Jesus created time. He created space. He created all matter. And do this, do this, do this, do this, right here, right here. <laughs> you think about that. He created time, space, and matter. <laughs> really? And I think about the time when uh, my daughter Riley and I, we went to the planetarium in Chicago. And they have this room. And you go in, and they had these seats that kind of lay way back. But this room is like a dome, right? It's just, it's just like this. And they project this video on all parts, you know, top to bottom, everywhere. And it talks about, you know, our planet and just our solar system. And I remember reclining, just looking, thinking, and Lord, you created all of this and more. And right now, right now, I'm not thinking about presence at all. This great God, amazing, absolutely amazing. But we need to take time to think and reflect of the significance of the incarnation, not just the season that we enjoy. So when the Son of God came, what changed and what didn't change? When I study a word, I kind of chew on that a little bit, and I'll go over it so I'm not just skimming over it and presuming I know what I think that I know. Hey, Andy, you ready? Put up that next set of scriptures. Now, what I want you to just take a peek at, if you've got a copy of your word or if you're on page 1165, you'll see this. Now, on, on verse 6, you see that? Who, though he was in the form, you see that? Of God, And then if you drop down to verse 8 and being found in the human form, right? You see that? Andy, hit that next one for me. See that one up there? Verse 6, form. Hit it again, Andy. Verse 8. There, two, two forms. 
Same English word, form. However, when Paul wrote this, and he advanced again, that first one becomes morphe, and that next one becomes schema. And I lost you. Right? You thought you were on Christmas break. No studying, nothing to be able to learn here. But there is something significant here. There really is. When you look at that word morphe, that, that is something that doesn't change. Right? And the schema is something that will change from time to time. Morphe, that which never changes. Schema, that which will change from time to time. Think about us. As a human, that's our morphe, right? You know, our essential, we, we never change from being human. But our schema will change. Think about it. Embryo, fetus, newborn, right? Uh, adolescent, uh, young adult, right? Senior adult. See that, how it changes? And then when you get to be 90, you'll be old, right? And when you're 90... Right? You're nothing like you were when you were born. Your schema has changed, but we are in our very essence still human. With me so far? Wow, you didn't hear that, but the kid in the front row said, yes. And now that you've sat through that, thank you. Right? Because where we want to go here is Jesus being in his very form, that's morphe, deity. Deity. See what the scripture's driving at here? Keep going with me. Check this out. You know, what is the morphe? It's that which never changes. It's his deity. Lock that in. Lock it in. He's deity. All right? And it's very essential. Look at uh, verse 6 again. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God. Right? That's his morphe. Deity. We've got that locked in, right? So far so good? Let's keep reading. Who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not think equality with God. Huh? Huh? And someone then says, well, Jesus isn't equal. Do not let anyone take you there. Right? You can't go there. Remember? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Eternal and co-equal. When Jesus left the glory of heaven, he did not think equality something to be grasped. When leaving heaven, he didn't turn around and point to the Father and say, You know what? I'm as much God as you are. This isn't fair. You go. He didn't do that, right? God the Son is acting on the Father's plan. He doesn't come arguing about the position he had in heaven. And in verse 7, look at it, it says, but emptied himself. So he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. What does that mean? What does that mean he emptied himself? What was being given up? Now you ask the average person on the street, and I've even heard this within the church also. What's, what does that mean? And they'll say that he's giving up his divine nature. Whoa! Whoa, whoa! Put the brakes on. You can't go there if you know who Jesus is. That's what the Morphe is. He's deity, right? Let's push the pause button for just a moment. Let me take you to the transfiguration. Remember the transfiguration? Okay. 
And um, even before the transfiguration, we back up just a little bit more. Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, hey, who do people say that I am? And Peter chimes up and he goes, you are the Christ. Jesus goes, very good, Peter, right? And again, explains to him how the Father is helping Peter to understand that. But it's not too much after that that Jesus talks about part of you know, the redemptive plan. He's going to go suffer, be rejected, die, come back to life. And what does Peter do? Peter goes, oh, no, no, Jesus. There's a you know, much better way, much better way. You got this all wrong, Jesus. And uh, Jesus rebukes Peter. You remember that part? And I get to thinking, Peter has been with Jesus a lot. You could say he probably was comfortable being around Jesus. At least comfortable enough to rebuke Jesus. And you think about this. Peter, Peter is not a regular attender. Right? He, he is one of Jesus' closest disciples. He's been with Jesus 24-7. And yet... When we get to this transfiguration that happens after what I just explained to you, to the transfiguration, when, when the divine glory you know, is shown there, Peter turns to James and John and goes, See, I've been telling you there's a lot more that you just don't see. No, he doesn't do that. When this transfiguration takes place, Peter, James, and John, they hit the ground. They are, in fact, the, the gospel says, they're terrified. Like, whoa, who is this? Right? And you think about this. Peter, James, and John get a glimpse and an earful of the divine glory of the Son of God. Folks, he has always been God, deity. He never emptied himself of any divine nature. So what did Jesus empty? Stay with me here, right? Jesus is God. Let me ask you this question. What was Jesus' existence like in eternity past? What was Jesus' existence like in eternity past? You ever thought about that? Reflected, try to imagine what that is. I've sat up in that chair in the balcony in the very back corner on several occasions and just tried to get my arms around that. Before the incarnation, before Bethlehem, before the manger, what was his existence like? Right? Hang with me. It's got to be awesome, right? We sang earlier, holy, holy, holy. Remember in Isaiah? Holy, holy, holy. And they said, you know, in Isaiah, the, everything's trembling, right? It's shaking because he's that awesome. And then we've talked about before how he wraps himself in light. And I've talked about the robe before, and we won't go there in, in detail today, but could you imagine trying to envision the Son of God prior to the incarnation in heaven with all of the angels, just holy, 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 wrapping himself in light and how awesome it would be. Are you thinking about that? Because I'm sure not thinking about any Christmas trees right now. That is, I mean, just think about how awesome 
that would be. But Jesus' attitude was to cling, was not to cling to those things or his position, but be willing to give them up to be the God-man. The riches in heaven, all of the holy, holy, holies, and comes here. And there were some folks that said some not nice things about him. And he never had that robe of glorious light. Right? He was poor. Now, Jesus empties himself not by subtracting his divinity. Now look closely at this. He emptied himself also by adding humanity. Verse 7, but he emptied himself being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. See, that's the schema part of it in verse 8. You think about baby in a manger, running in the streets of Nazareth, uh, helping his earthly father in the carpentry shop, right? And again, think about what takes place there. Think about again becoming an earthworm, right? Okay, but before you tell me, but before you tell me something, I can't fully get this. Well, welcome to the club. Finite people aren't going to fully understand the infinite. But just because we don't understand all of this doesn't mean we can't understand more of it. Let me repeat that. Just because we don't understand all of it doesn't mean we can't understand more of it. God, help us to understand more, to grow, to be sanctified. Right? And now we start to be in awe and worship Him for who He is and what He did. Well, what did this God-man do? Look at verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when I slow down, remove those distractions, and I think about this, it still blows my mind. We don't just, ce we don't just celebrate Christmas because God became a man. We celebrate this because it, the significance is God had to become a man, die as a man, in order for us to have the means as a man to be reconciled to God. Did you catch that? The significance of what we're really celebrating here is God had to become a man and die as a man in order that we might be reconciled to God as people. Think about that. And may we never get over the magnitude and the magnificence of what Jesus did here. To die? To die a criminal's death, right? To die for sin. Could you imagine? Could you imagine all of the stuff that went on surrounding the crucifixion? And the angel Michael sitting there watching all of it take place. The betrayal, the beatings, the scourging, the nailing him to the cross, all of that. Could you imagine the archangel Michael looking at this and just turning to the Father and saying, Give me the word and I'll go and I'll wipe them all out. And he's just poised there, ready to pounce. And yet the Father says, Stand down, Michael. It has to be this way. This is my redemptive plan. That's what he did. That's what Jesus did. And why did he do it? Why did he do it? Oh, folks, that one's pretty simple. 
Just a cursory reading of this will tell you he did it because he loved us. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing to me still to this day that the death of the God-man was in order to save sinners. Amazing. How about this one? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, to, to understand that one. Maybe the most familiar text in all of the Bible. But still, don't you find it amazing to be able to say, God, help me to understand more the significance of this. He did it because he loves us. He came. Jesus came the first time, right, the incarnation, to sacrifice himself in order to save people. That's why we celebrate the incarnation. Mary incarnation. But we needed a perfect sacrifice. We needed a perfect sacrifice to pay for the punishment of our sin. And by the way, by the way, the Son of God is waiting for the Father to say, hey, return and go get your church. So what now? What now? Right? What do you do? So what do you do when you have a gift? Right? What do you do with the gift? You receive it. Right? You receive it. You open it up. Now, while waiting, while waiting for Jesus' return, we all have the opportunity to repent and believe in Jesus. All right? We celebrate, we celebrate Christmas because it's the part of God's redemptive plan, whereby the Savior comes. An astonishing truth. This gift that God has given for God so loved the world that He gave, what do you do? You receive it. We have to understand who God is. We have to understand really who God is. Otherwise, the incarnation really doesn't have that much impact in my life. I get distracted. I get numb. Right? But He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's merciful. He's gracious. He is other. Right? And we understand who we are. We're sinners. And we're separated. Right? Our sin separates us from God. Is there no hope? This is all we've been talking about. Oh, yes. God sent His Son to die to pay the price. That's the solution. But God requires of all people to repent and believe. Right? That's what you do with the gift. Let's conclude with this. Verse 9. Therefore God has exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we be in awe that Jesus stepped into humanity lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, so that through his sacrifice, God, that we may be saved. That, it's mind-boggling that Jesus came in such a way, giving up the, the, the praises of heaven, all the privileges that were his there, in order to come as one of us, God, we are grateful for what you did for us in Christ. Without Jesus, we're hopeless. And God, there are so many people that need to know the Savior. 
God have mercy when people get caught up in the presence and the activities and they don't realize they're caught in their trespasses and sins. God, because of Jesus, may we be compelled to share the good news more than anything else. Father, send out workers into your harvest field. God, may we give you our very best. And I pray that everyone here will trust in Jesus and be ready when he returns again. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. This point of the service, we have what we call an invitation. An invitation is where you respond to God. Right? Now, if you are a professing believer of Jesus Christ, right? if you're a professing believer of Jesus Christ, the invitation is for you in this. This, this, account, this account of the incarnation has been shared in the church for over 2,000 years. And yet there are so many people out here in our community and around the world that do not have a proper grasp on the significance of what this is in God's redemptive plan. Christian, Christian, is there anyone here today during this time of invitation where you're going, God, I commit to you to share the gospel, the good news. During our time of invitation, I encourage you, those that are believers in Christ, come to the altar. God, help me. Help me to be an ambassador, to be a disciple maker, to champion this. And the invitation is also for those who have not yet believed. You may know about Jesus, but you have not trusted in him fully, relied upon him to actually save you from your sin. Then I encourage you during this invitation, come forward. I'll, I'll stand right here. But by coming, saying, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. I want a, an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, the only Savior. An invitation is for you to respond to God. The front's open if you wish to come and pray, but you respond to God as we sing. Sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I survey the
let the orchestra play at once and let's just pray about this time of invitation, time of decision. had a glorious Christmas season, uh, and let's look together to serve the Lord like we've never served Him before in this new year, 2022. Amen? And uh, speaking of serving the Lord, uh, God bless you and thank you for your generosity toward international missions. You've exceeded uh, the Lottie Moon International Missions Christmas offering, and so God bless you for that. Uh, but if you're planning on giving today, uh, certainly the missionaries around the world can still use that, so please do do give, but God bless you for your generosity. Let's sing together as we go. You are God alone. You are God alone from before time began. You are on your throne and you are God alone. And right now in the good times and bad, you are on your throne and you are God alone. If you can still hear me, anybody that wants a poinsettia to take home, please do. <laughs> <laughs> 